was uh, was Father's Day, and I went and hung out with uh, uh, Papa Wheelie, uh, Wheels Langworthy, after church. And uh, as I was leaving his house after a nice little pool party, uh, he ran upstairs and came back down with uh, this T-shirt uh, and gave it to me. It's a T-shirt from a company called Active Faith that I really, really love. And uh, he gave it to me, and I was really moved by it, touched by it, because it shows that he knows me. He knows that it's, it's a company I love, and he knows that I am uh, trying to train, trying uh, to train for a triathlon, and so it was to help me mo- get me motivated to really train for this and not die while I'm swimming in this triathlon. Uh, so it really, really moved me. And then my son, uh, my middle son Brady, uh, he's named after the greatest quarterback of all time, uh, my middle son Brady uh, gave me this t-shirt. Uh, when I got home from that conference, I wasn't allowed to go into uh, the garage because Brady was working on a project, and uh, it was red paint, so it actually looked like there was a crime scene in my garage. And, uh, but he made me this shirt. I was like, hey, I grew up from New- in New England. You know Daddy loves the Red Sox. And this is not a T-shirt that would sell on the Red Sox uh, marketplace. It's not going to make millions on, on their website. But it meant the world to me. This T-shirt is priceless because Brady took time, effort, energy, his own money to make this T-shirt because he loves his daddy and he knows his daddy. Have you ever been given a gift? Have you ever had a comment made to you that would show you that the person making the comment or the person giving the gift would tell you they don't really know who you are? (laughs) They don't understand you like like you think they understood you? Uh, I I went to the coffee shop. I was at Cafe Enigma, minding my own business, just working on a sermon about a year and a half ago during the binge series, and somebody came in, didn't have an appointment, but just sat down at the table and started barfing on me. And in that conversation, they said, well, Jason, you like, you know how, like, you guys don't really preach the Word of God? Like, you just water down the Word of God for people? And I was like, huh, that's weird. And uh, I just kind of, like, did the nice face, like, mm-hmm, okay. Uh, and then, like, later on in the conversation, they were like, I, I had to stop and I'm like, have you ever listened to me preach? Have you ever heard one of the sermons? Well, no, but I've talked to people and, ah. Oh conversations now over because if you know me I care a whole lot about the word of God and during the binge series if you all remember that series we hit that thing hard we gave it hard I was like you don't really know me if you're making that type of a comment how about when we talk about Jesus have you ever been talking with somebody about Jesus and they make comments about Jesus that would say they don't really understand Jesus as you understand Jesus well he's just a cult leader cult leader that's not what I see in here oh Jesus he's a really hateful man that's not what I see of Jesus well he's still dead that's not what I see in here you would make, they would make comments that say they don't understand Jesus like you understand Jesus. It's that same type of mindset that when they don't understand Jesus, that would be the mindset that says, well, all roads lead to God. He's a good person, and if you ascribe to this good person like Gandhi or Muhammad or anybody else, all roads lead to God. That would say you don't really understand who Jesus is, and his words that would say, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Or to say he's just a good person would fall short of calling him Lord. Is that good enough? If If we know Jesus, what response is he looking for? To say he's just a good person or that all roads lead to God, you know what that is? That is summer love. That's a temporary type relationship because when things get tough, I'm out. But if he is my Lord and my Savior, no matter if things get tough, 
I am committed to this. And this goes far beyond summer love. So as we consider trailblazing and discipleship, as we consider is Jesus worth giving our lives to, and now as we we move into the summer love series, this is in the second week, we're looking at things that Jesus did and responses to Jesus and asking that question, is he worth a relationship that's much bigger than summer love? Here's where we go in Luke chapter 7. If you're in your Bibles, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John of the New Testament. It will also be on the screens. It says soon afterwards, connecting it to the previous scene, connecting to where Jesus met the centurion and and healed a servant. Went to a a town called Nan. Y'all ever heard of it? (laughs) It was only about 200 people back in the day. It's only really noteworthy because back in the day with the prophets, a guy named Elisha, a guy named Elijah, like these are people that, that raised people to the dead in this area, raised two different people. Then, so they would remember the prophets of this area. And his, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as they drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died. Now this is important. Here's a, here's a dead man leaving the town with a whole crowd of people. This is significant because Luke is a doctor. Luke knows dead is dead. This man is dead. And as they're leaving the, the town, then when it said it was at the gate, now we know that they are on their way to put this dead man into the grave because they're leaving the gate and moving outside of the city. He was being carried, and the only, on, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. I was married, and my husband died, and I had one son, and now he's dead unimaginable circumstances for this woman. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. You have two two crowds of people, the crowd with Jesus, the crowd with this woman, and now they're merging upon each other at the city gates. Now what, what are some of these, what, know what's important here? That Capernaum, where Jesus was with the centurion, is about a day's travel to the city of Nan. That's really important when we consider Jewish culture, when we consider health code from that day. If somebody died, when you got word of a dead body, you had uh, culturally, religiously, you had 24 hours to get them into the grave because of the decaying process, because of health, and for religious reasons. So this mother finds out her son is dead, and the clock is ticking 24 hours to get him into the grave. How far was Capernaum? About 24 hours away, a day's travel. You know what that means? That while that body was freshly dead, Jesus was en route. (laughs) It also means that, that very likely that this, this person, before he even died, Jesus was already en route. As this woman is getting news of her dead child, Jesus is already en route to this city. That's a picture of generosity. Graham talked about it. We value generosity. One of the truest forms of generosity is not necessarily, I know that there is a need and I meet the need. One of the truest forms of generosity is I perceive a need, and before you even ask, I'm stepping in to that need. Here is a woman that is in deep, deep need, especially when you consider the culture. She doesn't have a man in her life. This is not 2019 when you, I don't need a man in my life. That's, this is something where this is critically important. (laughs) 
She, she lost her husband, so her husband's not present. Now she's lost her son. You know what this means culturally? Is that means she could face starvation. Who's going to help provide for her? Who's going to help protect her from assault? Who's going to help protect her from villains? Who's going to help her protect her from, from being taken advantage of? When we go back to the year zero-ish, like this is critically important. So you know what's creeping in as she finds out that her son is dead. Imagine walking in her sandals. You're seeing now that not only is her son dead, now you're thinking about your husband that's died. Now the pain of both is present. Now you're thinking about the fear and the loneliness. At some point, this crowd is going to go away, and I will be nothing but literally alone. And God is in route. Death has a way of bringing perspective. This is an email I got this week, and I, and I share this with permission, although I'll leave it anonymous. Here is a line from this email. I, I think I got it on Monday. It says this, my biggest struggle with my illness uh, and cancer-free diagnosis is that the fact that I won't be seeing Jesus face-to-face right now. I was what? Let down. I was very depressed over it. For five months, I had been prepping to leave here. I was excited to be on the journey to heaven. And when the, when the all clear came through, I had to readjust my heart and my mind uh, for my flight delay. It, I, it was a disappointment that, that only a few close friends know about. But the Lord has been faithful in helping me find my way back to life here. And I'm rededicating my life back to Jesus, however he wants to use me. I'm back in the game, no longer on hold, thanks to my Wellspring family and my close friends. Death has a way of bringing perspective. If, if, I was, if, I was, if I was fighting cancer and I knew that I could die and then I get the cancer-free diagnosis, would I be able to pen an email like that? That's deep perspective, is it not? To say, I'm so in love with Jesus, I'm actually disappointed that I don't get to see him face-to-face as soon as I thought I might. It, when, we, when we're facing death, we say all sorts of things and many of those things are simply on true. Have you been at a funeral where, you, where you've heard, well, they're in a better place now? People will say that because they'll look at the deeds of their life and say, well, well, everything adds up. He must be in a better place. Perhaps you've only known that individual for a year, and the year is time in which you've known that individual would say, yeah, he's likely in a better place. But what about the daughter from 35 years ago that was abused, now showing up at the funeral, haven't seen, hasn't seen the dad for 35 years and saying, no, he's rotting in a pit of hell. Whose perspective is right? Whose perspective ultimately matters? It's not even the people here on earth. It's the perspective of God Almighty. You know who goes to a place? You know when that is true? People that call on the name of Jesus. That is always true. For those that call on the name of Jesus and face earthly death, you know what? They have gone to the better place because for those that call on the name of Jesus, this is the best it will ever get. But for those that do not call on the name of Jesus, this is your heaven. This is the best it will ever get. That statement is not true. So when you face the perspective of death, Do you want to go to a place that is literally better, or do you want to go to a place that makes this look like heaven? Do you go to the place of saying, all roads lead to God because you fear for your loved ones. They don't know Jesus. I fear that reality. Although I claim Jesus, I fear the reality. 
that they might not be with Jesus forever. And so I, I, I reevaluate Jesus and say, well, all roads lead to God. Or him looking, looking upon him as a good person, that is good enough. What perspective is right? Where do you get your source of information? Death has a way of bringing perspective. And this is how this story now continues. And when, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion. No one came to Jesus No one said, hey, there's the widow. But the Lord saw her. In that moment, she's feeling alone. In that moment, she's feeling unnoticed by God. And little does she know that the Son of God, the Son of God Almighty, is in her presence looking at her with compassion on her and he said now with compassion something that you should never say in a funeral to a widow he calls out a command do not weep and they came up and then he came up he yells out do not weep and he starts walking up to this beer this 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 uh, coffin this stretcher type thing walking up to a dead body if you're the woman if you're the widow aren't you piercing Jesus like you just told me not to weep and then you're walking towards my dead son what are you doing and he touched the beer the wooden frame and all the bearers stood, stood the bearers stood still and he said uh, to the young one to the young man he said to her i say to you arise and the dead man sat up and began to speak. This was more than just a muscle reaction. This was more than just like he kind of got his life back. Now he's speaking. Now he's doing something intelligible, fully recovered. He doesn't have to go see Dr. Shannon for a PT. He is now fully recovered. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Jesus sometimes would respond. You would come to him and you would say, here's a need or here's a need for a loved one. Here's a need that I have. And Jesus would respond. A few times, although it is somewhat rare. Jesus would take the initiative. And here Jesus is taking the initiative. And the first thing that he does as he takes initiative is to yell out, do not weep. And then he touches the, the, the stretcher that has the body on it. Culturally, Jesus would have defiled himself by touching the, the, the beer, by the extension of the dead body. But you know what? Jesus has a different perspective. The woman looks at the situation as hopeless and helpless. The religious leaders would look at that as sinful. But Jesus doesn't see a dead man. He doesn't see the situation as hopeless. What Jesus sees is somebody that is resting. And so he walks over, and of course, he can touch the beer. And he can raise people to life. And that is what happened for this person. He raises to life. Luke loses a word that, that talks about like if you, if you were really sick, like, like oh my, my life came back to me. That I was pale but I got the life back in me. I was bedridden but all of a sudden I had the strength to get up. He uses that type of terminology to say all of a sudden this person was fully restored and everybody is stunned. And what does it point to? It points to the power of a man over life and death. What was hopeless now has hope as he walks to his mother. This, you can look around, this is one-third of our congregation. And you might walk in here, you might be feeling like this woman. You might be feeling like, where is hope? How can I, how can I have hope in the midst of this awful world that we live in? And, and, and you might walk in here and you might expect hope to come, not from, not from God, but God through one person, me. I can't fully 
be used by God to instill hope upon everybody in here. You know where people find hope at Wellspring Church? Through life groups. I lead two life groups. My job to care for people first starts with my two life groups. If they are hurting, if they're in pain, I want to come alongside them and be used by God to share with them hope. I asked my life group leaders, how is this going for you in your life groups? How are you, how are you giving people hope, the hope of God in the midst of dire, dire circumstances? And this is what one person said. When mom-mom died, people in our life group brought us dinner and offered to babysit the girls. The support was incredible. Another said when, when somebody's dad got sick, we cooked meals, and we literally brought meals over for a week. Thank God for, for pre- freezer meals. <laughs> and another said we made meal trains, and we babysit children. We pray for people on, on a weekly basis that are hurting. Every single staff member leads a life group. They're focused on care through that. My suggestion to you, if you're looking for hope in the midst of, of hurting, in the midst of pain, is to go to a life where you can be surrounded by people that will love you in a way to point you to Jesus Christ. Because for the Christian, we always have hope because we have Jesus. Jesus doesn't know hindrance. Jesus doesn't know panic. Where you and I face a hopeless situation, we cling to Jesus. Where we feel overlooked, we're reminded of this woman who is looked upon by Jesus himself and is not overly uh, uh, is not uh, overlooked but Jesus is present. We, we cling to Jesus when we understand he looks at a situation like Jesus hanging on a cross and God's looking at that not looking at it like oh it must be a lose-lose Jesus doesn't know a lose-lose Jesus only knows win-win. Jesus is not hindered. He's a God of full resources. So where you look at a situation like a lose-lose there's no possible way for God to do anything with this My God is abundantly resourceful and specializes in impossible situations. We walk forward in the hope of Jesus Christ. And now here's, though, where some people go. Here's where the passage goes, fear. It's the word phobes. It's it's a word where we will eventually get phobia. It's overwhelming fear. Seize them all. But they what? What did they do? They glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us. God has visited his people. They are so close to saying, Lord, but they don't. They fall short. And the report about him spread throughout all of Judea and all the surrounding country. Jesus from a little town is able to spread his fame through what has now just happened. When they see this man on a stretcher laying down and Jesus touches the stretcher, all of a sudden he gets up. What happens? Fear strikes them. It would strike you and I. If I was the one holding the the stretcher, guess what? If the man got up, I'm dropping said stretcher, and I'm heading for the hills. So fear grips them, but the crowd goes to a place of awe and wonder, amazed by Jesus. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they fear Jesus, but they go to a place of trying to plot and to kill Jesus. Now they mistakenly but understandably look at Jesus as a prophet. They heard of their ancestors that experienced that, that these uh, prophets, Elisha, Elijah, they raised people from the dead. So this must be another prophet of God. But they are wrong. They are reasonably wrong. They give Jesus a great title like prophet, but that doesn't honor God. If he's Lord and you give him some secondary title, the only thing that really honors him is the full title of Lord God all mighty. He came here to be Lord. He came here to shatter our boxes and bring his 
glory. They looked at him as just a good person, and they failed to realize that God Almighty, through his son Jesus Christ, was present with them. It didn't, the, the faith didn't, was not demanded for the miracle. Did you see that? Faith hasn't even been mentioned yet. But Jesus is miraculous even when faith isn't present. To do what? To point people to Jesus Christ. Faith is always needed for salvation. But here in this moment, even if they don't have faith, God does the impossible to do what? Point to himself. To bring his fame. Now, I, I have this weird thing now where, where Graham runs our social media, and he blows up social media with things about Wellspring. Y'all have seen it. And, and now I have this awkward thing of going to BJ's, and someone's like, hey, I've seen you on Facebook. And I'm like, well, yeah, I own it. I'm Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> and that never goes over. And, and they're like, no, that, that church, that Wellspring church. Like, I'm like, yeah, I'm the pastor. This is kind of awkward. Grocery store, Walmart, it's like it happens. I'm like, it always makes me feel uncomfortable. That's not how I want to be known because Graham puts things on social media. But, but thus it happens. But, you know, like, well, that's fun. It, I, I invite people to Wellspring. I tell them about Jesus sometimes you know, through, through this. But, but what else happens as, as people see this church and as they see it on social media, they start stealing my identity. This has happened four times in the last year and a half. This is an email uh, the, the whole staff got. Uh, good morning, Carly. How are you doing today? I hope this message gets to you in good faith. I, I talk like that all the time. Okay. Um, hope this finds you in good faith. Okay. And, and sorry, I'm using my private email to reach you. Uh, my phone was unavailable. I'm having an important meeting. Uh, I need you to do something very urgent for me. Oftentimes, while we're sitting in the same room, they get this, this email from me. Uh, uh, write back as soon as you can. And as soon as they write back, it's them saying, well, I, I, I'm in need of some money. Can you, I, I can't get out of this meeting. Can you wire me some money? We've had congregants with people uh, using my identity to try to get money out of them. Is that what I want my name used for? Never. I will never over email ask you for money. Let's go have coffee and we can talk about how your money can be used to build God's kingdom. But I'm not going to send you an email saying, hey, y'all want to give some money? <laughs> y'all, like, wire it to my personal. Like, that will never happen. That's not what I want to be known for. Ultimately, I want to be known as a man used by God to bring people to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the most well-known person in all of history, yet he's the least known person. The people in the Islamic faith would say that he is a prophet. Mormons would, would claim that he's a created being. Jehovah Witnesses would claim that he's the archangel reincarnate of Michael. All are wrong. He's the least known person, yet he's the most well-known person. Who is my Jesus? He's the resurrection and the life. If we don't know him as anything short as Lord, then we don't know him. Wellspring do we know him as Lord. If he's our collective Lord that he must be our personal Lord. What I see as they experience resurrection in this story and they go to a place where they just call him a prophet, they fall short. Our big thought for the morning is this. Good guy isn't good enough to walk in here saying he's a good guy, to leave here thinking he's just a good guy. That is not good enough. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. What I know of my Jesus, what, what I challenge you guys to do this morning, I challenge you to challenge your thinking. You walked in here thinking, good guy. Where did you get that? Was it because somebody posted something on Facebook and you're like, oh, it's all made up. You never even read the article. But you saw the headline, so now it's all made up. 
Jesus is just a good guy or Jesus is just something that I, I've seen my, my crazy relatives start to change and now it's like, okay, well, he's a good guy, but he's still not Lord for me. Have you read the Word of God? Where is your source of truth? Are you willing to challenge yourself in your thinking? Because the Jesus I know is compassionate. The Jesus I know is, is gracious. The Jesus I know is not afraid or surprised by anyone. The Jesus I know is, is a God of infinite love. And I know that because I know the cross of Jesus Christ. I know that my God, my Jesus, is not a God of death. He's a God of life. Why? Because I know that in Jesus is proven resurrection power. And that when I say yes to Jesus, resurrection power lives inside of me. He's not a God for hopeless. He's a God for hope. Because in Jesus Christ, we have resurrection. And resurrection ends all pain. Resurrection is compassion. Resurrection is complete. Do you know my Jesus who has that power? You and I walked in here with the same condition. We can't beat death. But death is true of all of us because there is sin in every one of us. But in my Jesus, he ends death. We experience resurrection. Because of that, we only have one choice. Call on him as Lord. This is a picture of a guy named uh, Riley Hal. It's his senior, senior picture from high school. Riley um, was, a, was a student at UNC. And this past May, uh, last month, beginning of last month, he got a text message while sitting in his classroom in college towards the end of his, uh, his year. He got a text message that says, run, hide, get away. And he looks up and realizes that there's a shooter in his classroom and that he can't get out. And so he decides to charge the shooter. He takes, uh, he takes a bullet in the torso, takes another bullet, and still fights. That doesn't stop him. He gets right to the shooter, and point blank, he takes a third bullet and dies in the process of tackling the shooter. He was able to withhold the shooter in his death to give the authorities enough time to get there and stop more people from dying. This young man is a hero. And in our American culture, we will open up a scholarship fund for him in his memory. On the UNC campus, there will likely be a memorial for him. For a season, probably for about four or five years, people will remember him as a hero, as a great guy. Their parents will feel honored at graduation. Their parents, his parents will, will feel like, man, like they, they really admire what my son did. But there will come a time where his memory will slowly fade, where his parents could be sitting around a coffee table and some, some jerkwad college could could say, well, I just did a paper, and I found out that there was an ROTC kid uh, in the class. If only Riley would have done something different to save people. He could have he saved his life. He, they, they, if you're his parent and they start critiquing how he went about saving lives, do you feel honored in that? If, if, if years later you're back for a reunion, you hear people around a coffee table say, yeah, he's a really nice, he, was, he sounds like a really nice guy. If you're his parent... Is nice guy good enough? I thought about this when I saw my rep this report, and, and I had to think of my son. My son, Landon Koesh, that sits in the front row. This is how I started going, because I was like, if my son in, in 15 years is on a college campus, 
and gets that same type of a text message and tackles a shooter and dies in the process. He's a hero. And anything short of that disrespects the honor of my son. Hero is the only thing worthy of such a sacrifice. And we want to look at God and say, Gee, God, your son Jesus, he was a good guy. There was probably other ways. Gandhi was good. God, I, I know you're of infinitely wise, but God, there's, there's so many different ways. It's not just your son. How would you respond to such statements? I think about my son, and I think that there, when I think of my son, and when I think of God's only son, good guy isn't good enough. Why? Because there is only one fitting response. And Romans talks about this. The only fitting response is this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Lord. Lord. And what did Jesus say? I am the only way. No one gets to the Father but through me. And do what? Believe in your heart that God, through the resurrection power, raised him from the dead. You will be saved. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to be able to articulate every theology in this book. What you have to have figured out is that you can't do it and that Jesus is Lord. And in Jesus, we have victory over the grave. We know resurrection life because we know Jesus. I want you to invite you to say right now that verse to God. God, I confess my sin. I confess that you are Lord. And I confess resurrection power. I believe it in my heart that you have saved me from my sin. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you for this moment. Father, I thank you. Father, for all the distractions this morning to point to the need of just a Savior. That you are more than any distraction. That you are fully capable of fighting against our own inabilities. And Father, that's never been more true than when we think of our inability to conquer death. When we think of our inability to, to have relationship with you in and of ourselves, Father. Father, would we consider in this moment that good guy simply is not good enough. That calling on you as Lord is truly the only way to move forward. And if that is you, I ask that you would pray something along these lines in your seat. To call on Jesus and believe in your heart something along these lines. Dear Jesus, perhaps this is the first time I'm ever praying, but Jesus, I'm calling on you. I'm confessing my sin. God, I know that I am not perfect. I know that I have wrong. God, my, my wrong is wrong, and I am sorry for it. I've looked at you as a good guy. I've looked at you as one of many possibilities. But today, Jesus, I look to you and you alone as Lord. You are my Lord. You are my God. And I am so thankful that you have power over the grave, that your Holy Spirit now lives inside of me, and that I have the Holy Spirit. I have resurrection power, and I will live my life declaring your name, calling you the only title worthy of such a sacrifice, Lord. I give you my life this morning, Jesus, in your powerful, powerful name, amen.